Welcome to the Reasonable Theology Podcast, where we present sound doctrine in plain language. We're here to help you better understand, articulate, and live out the fullness of the Christian faith. And now, here's your host, Clay Craby. Well, thanks for listening to the Reasonable Theology Podcast. We're here this time with our guest, Charles Causey. Charles Causey is a recipient of the Bronze Star for his military service in Iraq. He's the author of several books, including Candor, The Secret to Succeeding at Tough Conversations, which is going to be our topic for this episode. He's married with four children. He graduated from the University of Colorado and holds several advanced degrees. He's formerly served at the Pentagon as a senior army chaplain for the chief of chaplains in Washington, D.C., and is currently serving as a command chaplain in Honolulu, Hawaii. You can learn more about him at his website, causeybooks.com. Charles, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks, Clay. Really honored and glad to be here today. To begin with, could you share a bit about yourself, your family, and what your ministry looks like as a military chaplain? Absolutely. So I'm, um, I feel like I'm a, a full-time pastor that happens to be doing Army chaplain work, even though it's been over 15 years of active duty. Um, so I, I'm married to Lori for 27 years. We met on a mission trip in Manila, Philippines. We were both in college, involved in crew. And um, we have four children, uh, Nicholas, Madison, Hannah, and Isaiah. And they're all grown and out of the house. We, um, we've, I went to Trinity Evangelical Divinity School and then planted a church uh, outside of the Twin Cities in, uh, in Minnesota. And it was during that time, I was also an Army Reserve chaplain. I got uh, deployed to Iraq as an Army Reserve. I, I was mobilized. And it was after I came back, um, I, I spent a year working with the church plant, but then I got a call from the Pentagon and asked if I would come on to active duty. And so since 2008, I've been on active duty. Um, but usually, I mean, I really consider myself, before that I was about 15 years, 16 years in full-time ministry. Um, and I know I'll be joining full-time ministry again once I leave the military. Um, I don't want to talk too much. I want to give you a chance to <laughs> intercede. So that's kind of a snapshot of my life. No, that's great. I appreciate you giving us that picture there. And obviously, I just want to say thank you for your service and for serving the, the spiritual needs there in your role as a chaplain. Now, we mentioned at the intro here, in addition to these things that you've talked about, you're also a writer, and you've got a new book out called Candor, The Secret to Succeeding at Tough Conversations. Before we get into kind of the, the meat of that conversation, could you give us kind of a working definition of what candor is, just so we're all on the same page, and why candor is so important? Oh, absolutely. Um, candor, to me, just a, a real simple definition, is forthright honesty. And it comes from the, uh, the word comes from the Latin word candere, um, which is also the word that candle is derived from. And so its original meaning means to shed light on a situation with truth. Uh, this, these concepts of light and truth are very close. And um, so candor is used to bring light to a situation to, uh, by speaking um, honesty, forthrightness, 
it is it's used as a tool in conversations, uh, much like a surgeon needs light to perform an operation. I believe all conversations can use a healthy dose of candor just to get to the bottom of the issue and really make good decisions, whether it's in a church or in a business setting or in the military or in schools. Uh, Candor is really important. Now, when you talk about candor, um, is it fair that people would often associate that with maybe uncomfortable conversations, conversations that they're not really that excited to have? Yes, they could Um, because a lot of times we have a – uh, a picture of candor, which is what I bring out in the book, and I call it societal candor, uh, which is more about, uh, you know, pushing pridefulness, boasting, possibly bullying. And that's not the uh, type of candor I describe in the book. The type of candor I describe in the book has to do with um, with being loving and patient and kind to others and trying to have a benefit for everyone. So, um, the, so the type of candor that, you know, you you just asked about would not necessarily be bluntness in a negative sense, but, uh, bringing truth to the situation of what, what is the you know, the actual truth in a conversation. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think often when we hear the word candor or, um, when we know someone's going to speak to us with candor, we might brace ourselves a bit, but it's not by necessity that it's blunt or even unkind. Can you speak to how timing of conversations, how your own character, how love play into having candid conversations with people? Oh, absolutely. And I received my definition of candor Straight out of scripture from Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul in three different verses uh, addresses this. In verse 15, he talks about speaking the truth in love, and also in verse 25 and verse 29. And through uh, Paul's uh, admonitions to speak to truth to others in love, I developed four keys to candor. And the first one is uh, to speak the unspoken truth. Uh, the second one is with love. The third one is at an appropriate time. And the fourth one is um, to benefit everyone in the room. And as you remember that last verse, it's to give grace to all who hear in Ephesians 4.29. And uh, so using candor, um, you can actually really build up relationships when you don't, you, you know, when you're doing it for the benefit of everyone, not just yourself, and you're doing it out of love, it changes everything. And that makes it harder to have candor with difficult people who are harder to love. Because <laughs> um, I've had people ask me, "How do you, how do you, you know, have candor with somebody with love, but you don't love that person, you know, especially at the time?" And um, the reality is, well, then maybe you shouldn't speak at that point, or you should try to speak one-on-one. That's one of the, uh, you know, I have 22 effective tools for using stra- uh, candor. Uh, and the first one is speak privately if possible, especially if the information can be embarrassing for someone. It's interesting that you mentioned in those four keys that you, you, the way you worded that was for the benefit of all in the room. Are you trying to be considerate of maybe those who are overhearing things or if it was in you know a hallway at church or something like that? Is that what you're getting at there? Well, a lot of times what happens like in a, a work situation or possibly a church board situation is that 
uh, people are there might be a difficult person in the room pushing an agenda uh, that you know that the group doesn't want or but nobody's speaking up um, and you know that you're maybe it's possibly heading down the wrong path or the person is offending people in the room uh, that's when you know to benefit other people not yourself that's when you can speak up kind of as a defense and say hey uh, I know you may not realize this but your words uh, can are seem a little tough or hard you know, to some folks in the room. One of the rules, of course, is to speak for yourself. That's a cardinal rule in all conversations. Um, but if it's if it's troubling you, you can just, you know, speak the truth about that. Say, I'm, you know, I'm kind of troubled by what you're saying right now. Does that make sense? No, that makes perfect sense. And I, I think that's a great thing to keep in mind because you you have a conversation with someone. So there's you, there's the other person, but there might be other people involved in that too that are, are witnessing how you handle the situation, how the other person handles the situation, whether it's uh, onlookers or somebody else is in the meeting or whatever context there might be. So I really like that you included uh, trying to do it for the benefit of all who are involved. Yes, and that's, you know, and you get to one of the last chapters, it's dealing with difficult people. I mentioned that one of the um, second order effects of speaking with candor in a situation where it's awkward and difficult and challenging is that it does give bravery and encouragement and confidence to other people because there's probably people in the room that want to say what you're going to say, but they don't feel like they have confidence enough or maybe they're not the right person or the right time or but you speaking up actually gives them confidence for future conversations. So it can be a benefit to somebody in the room, even longitudinally, you know, later, later on in time. These things can be uh, uncomfortable for people. Obviously, um, no one wants to be in a conversation that they think might get confrontational, but there is a need for candor outside of uh, being in conflict with someone. Can you speak to some instances, some examples of when candor is helpful and necessary? Oh, absolutely. So um, one of the chapters is in family relationships. Uh, My relationship with my wife has greatly benefited from us having candor with each other. And it does, it seems like, hey, why why do you need to write a book on it? Just speak the truth all the time, right? Um, But there, there is something about certain relationships, and one is your relationship with your wife, your relationship with your children, maybe your relationship with your parents, elderly parents, um, who might be starting to suffer with some dementia and can't remember things clearly. Um, But just being intentional and trying to speak the truth to them in a loving way, even in the heat of a discussion, you know, a a, a tense discussion, like where you, maybe with your wife, it's about finances, your spouse, you know, or where are you going to spend your next Christmas? You know, is it going to be with your parents or her parents? And, but, you know, the tools are so important here because when you do it with love, you take a step back and you pause and, and you might look for a strategic time to speak to somebody that you love, uh, when you know that they can listen and, and, uh, you know, be able to understand what you're saying. Does that all, all that make sense? It, it does. And I expect that, uh, our listeners can think of examples in their own lives where, candor proved helpful or when they knew that they should have been more candid and a reluctance to do so proved unhelpful. But that reluctance can be difficult to overcome. And in the book, you write about several enemies of candor. What are those enemies 
and how can we overcome them? Well, the first major enemy, you know, enemy number one is fear. Fear of candor. Um, It comes from several things, you know, a lack of confidence, a lack of courage. Maybe you've gotten beaten up before for having candor. I've interviewed some great people, professors, and um, just just wonderful people out in the workforce and the military that they have been punished for having candor in the past. And um, so these things all tie into why you possibly wouldn't speak up. There's maybe a healthy fear. Um, there's candor out of fear. That's one of the enemies. Some people just are always, spe- you know, speaking with candor to the detriment of others because they're doing using societal candor, if that makes sense, instead of loving candor, as I define in the book. Um, there's also cynicism. You know, you're sitting in a meeting where you know everything's going to get decided a certain way, and you just, you know, you kind of tune out. Um, and then it, it also goes back lack of confidence, a lack of love for others. These are all enemies of candor. If you enjoy the sermons and written works of C.H. Spurgeon, I encourage you to check out the all-new chspurgeon.com. Here you'll find free, unabridged sermon audio delivered with the dynamic of live preaching, articles written by and about the Prince of Preachers, a chronological bibliography of all his books, and much more. This will be a growing library of Spurgeon-related resources to help you in your walk with the Lord. So check it out at chspurgeon.com. Now, if someone recognizes themselves in the things that you just described, um, candor is still going to be necessary at different times in their life and their relationships. How do you recommend someone start to gain that confidence, overcome that fear? Any roadblocks, any enemies that they have to being candid with someone when they need to be, how can someone improve in those areas? That's, that's a wonderful question. And um, as an army chaplain and a Christian minister, I've gained confidence in speaking candor, well, partially from trying it out and seeing that it works. But another way is just meditating on what Scripture speaks about confidence in our relationship with God. I mean, knowing that we're not alone, that is just a huge benefit. Knowing that God's on our side, God's Holy Spirit is inside of us. Um, as long as we have the right motives and we're doing it with love, we can really trust that God will use this situation to His glory and His benefit. Um, there are great verses like Jeremiah 17 seven through eight, which describes how a person whose confidence is in the Lord is like a strong tree besides a stream, fearing neither heat nor drought. And um, Jeremiah seventeen seven, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. Uh, there, I, I could go on, there's other verses. And this is one of the ways I gain confidence. But one of the main ones is trying it out using it. You know, it's kind of like, you know, Barney Fife possibly from Andy with his one bullet, you know, it's like, yep. Hey, this thing's loaded, you know, use it once say, wow, you know, it works when I, when I do it with a love at an appropriate time to benefit others, not just myself. Um, people can see my heart shining through, you know, I look them in the eyes and speak to them and they see that even though I'm saying something that's hard, I'm not backing away from my love from them. And that's really the key, is the love aspect. 
And it sounds like, and tell me if this is a, a fair uh, strategy also, it sounds like there's probably times where there's some pretty low stakes opportunities to try out being candid. I mean, I'm the type of person that naturally, if the waiter brings me the wrong food, I don't say anything and I just eat it. (laughs) (laughs) But there's probably low stakes times where people can be candid and probably start to gain that confidence a little bit. Yeah, you you just spoke to one. There's a lot of times in society, and my kids can testify to this, where... um, you know, we go to, we, we went to this one restaurant we were living in Virginia because of their fresh, warm bread. And one time they brought us out not fresh and cold bread, you know, that was hard. <laughs> and the kids are like, oh, it's okay. We'll just suffer. Everybody's complaining about the bread. Well, when I bring it up to the waiter, everybody just dies. You know, they want to crawl out of the table but it's like you know you guys were all saying something but then he asked us how we're doing and everybody's like oh fine you know that to me is not not being truthful not being honest and so i just gently said to the waiter you know we 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 love this restaurant we come here because of the warm fresh bread and this there's bread you brought us isn't uh you know it leaves a lot to be and he he immediately was like oh let me let me work on that let me get you some more um so it, it's little things like that. And part of that, as you know, Clay, just probably dealing with people as a pastor and different personality types. There are some that are, you know, really too bold <laughs> to other people all the time. And there are some that are, you know, really more introverted and don't want to cause a stir. Some some of that comes into play. But I would just say, what what is the honest thing? What What is really going on in your heart? I I have a chapter. I don't, I don't want to keep talking. I know I need to let you come in here. But I do have a chapter called uh, Blistering Honesty with Self. And it's the hardest chapter to write, but it's also my favorite chapter. And it just goes, what are, what are you truly thinking at the moment? What's going on in your mind? And this, I, I believe the most loving thing you can do for others is to, to let them hear your heart, if that makes sense. And as we talk about some of the things that maybe make people reluctant, I think we all met people who could use some reluctance in their, in their candor. Uh, what... What kind of guardrails can be put in place to prevent us or if somebody recognizes, hey, I always say what's on my mind and it's always causing problems. What are some guardrails that could be put in place to not be overly candid, overly, I I hate to say overly honest, but there's times where you can just smile and nod and say everything's fine. Right. Um, I think part of that is tuning into what other people, you know, having some self-awareness and I talk about honesty and friendships is one of the chapters candor with friendships and uh I, I, and it's also part of the chapter blistering honesty with self is just you know approaching other people and saying hey how, how am i doing in this area do i speak too much do i speak too little would you like to hear more from me would you like to hear less from me i mean these are very vulnerable questions to ask and you have to be ready for truth you know the hard truth but I don't think it hurts to ask somebody this question. If you could have another friend just like me, but without one character trait, what what would that be? You know, and that <laughs> for some people that's a little too scary, but that can get to the root of the question. If you know, if they say frankly, you talk too much. You know, you interrupt people before they finish their sentence or whatever the case may be. Um it's worth listening to and that can change your life. Now, if um if someone is in a relationship, a friendship, uh, a marriage, uh, some family relationship where it's kind of seems to be an even playing field in terms of 
the dynamics. That's one thing. How about in a workplace? I mean, obviously in your context, it's military. There's a hierarchy involved. How does this look different when, say, you're the, the leader or when you're the employee? How do those different dynamics come into play with being more candid? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I, I I bring that out in a chapter called Leaders and Organizations, where it is a little bit different. Um, there there's 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 a little tweak when you are the leader. You know, all, when you give candor, it's always the same four tools that I have from chapter one. You know, speak the unspoken truth with love when needed to benefit others. When you're receiving candor, as a leader. Uh, some of the things that I bring out is you need to be patient. You need to listen attentively with an open mind. You need to embrace the discomfort. You need to be appreciative that the, the person that maybe you supervise is, is giving you some feedback. And the last is to believe the best of the speaker and their motives. Um, I mean, company corporations pay big money for outside reviews of how they're doing and, and, and audits and they do surveys, you know, climate surveys. And, and the reason is people just aren't being very honest in the workplace about how things are. And, uh, Jack Welsh, former CEO of GE, he he said the biggest dirty little secret in business in all societies across all continents is a lack of candor. And, um, I, I think it's true. Now, as a follower, you know, as, as, as somebody who's part of a team, um, you would give candor the same way that I said with the four basic tools, but also when you're receiving it from your supervisor, it's a little bit tweaked. I say be present, fully engaged, hearing what your speaker is saying. Have faith in yourself. Listen attentively and receive what the speaker says. Be authentic and honest when given the opportunity to respond. And then the last one's the same in both, is believe the best of the speaker and their motives. A lot of times in the workplace, when you bring up candor and you're very honest about things, um, it can be very uncomfortable. I mean, I, I just to give you a quick example, I, I've had a, leaders in the military that have not received it well. You know, I've had one just look at me and sternly say, don't ever speak like that again, or don't ever bring up something like that again. I had another leader tap me in the chest, tell me, you know, you're just a major I'm a colonel. I, I can impact your career if you talk like that anymore. Um, but yet these same people, you know, if I didn't give them candor, wasn't honest, they'd be mad about that as well. <laughs> you know? So it's kind of a catch-22. Now, if you are a leader, if you're an employer, or if you're a ministry leader, whatever the case might be, a coach, obviously from from the way you explore and expand the idea in your book – a climate and a culture where candor and candid conversations can happen is is a helpful and healthy thing. What are ways that those that are able to help shape culture in their workplace or in the school or in the church or wherever, how can they help foster that more? Oh, that's great. Um, great question. One of the ways is to have what many call an open door policy and just say, hey, I, you know, my door is open. I mean, you have to, in the army, we say, oh, I have an open door policy, but you need to use your chain of command first. So, you know, a private can't just walk into a general's office and say things because a general will say, you know, have you spoken to your supervisors about this? But when you say you have an open door policy and you're requesting feedback, you're telling people you want them to be honest. Another thing to do is to get out 
and walk around and talk to people. A leader never has to apologize for asking questions of his his or her employees on the job. You know, getting out, talking to employees, saying, hey, what's going on here? Are you happy? Is the job going well for you? Um, do you have any complaints? That That's a lot of leaders would never ask those questions. Do you have any complaints? Do you have any challenges? Is there any way we can resource you better? But if you want to be a great leader, what I would call a transformational leader, instead of just merely a transactional leader or a train wreck leader, then, you know, I think great leaders ask the hard questions and they really try to understand what their employees are dealing with. Yeah, that's helpful to think about in terms of trying to set it up where people feel like they can come and tell you things that you need to hear because ultimately that's that's going to make things better, isn't it? Yes. I mean, that's the I mean, that's that's why it's a candle. It it sheds light on what's actually happening. And businesses, militaries, school organizations, school, you know, I, I went through the list before with a healthy dose of honesty coming up through the ranks not only from worker bee up to the queen bee but from leadership leadership going down you know um, subordinates need to hear candor from their leaders they need to know what is the clear intent of the mission what is it that you really want us to do here um how are you feeling about how we're working on it right now? Does, does that make sense? A lot of people work in the dark. They're hoping that they're pleasing their supervisors, but they're not sure, you know? Now, as we as we think through what these conversations look like and how you go about having them, you've talked about character and timing and the tone of things. Could you speak a little bit, too, about the importance of format? We live in a time where I think people default to you know, to a text, to a message on social media, to an email, to, you know, how does the format impact how well these conversations go versus getting face-to-face? Yeah, that's a very interesting question, nuanced question. um, I've always had a rule that anything positive or neutral can easily be done in an email or a text. If there's anything, you know, say neutral to confrontational or bringing conflict or, you know, needs correction, those type of things, then I, I really believe face-to-face is the only appropriate method. And the reason is you can't, people infer things um, from digital media, from emails and texts and things we post on social media, um, that it, but they infer things, but when it's positive, it's all fine. When it's negative, they can infer, um, you know, really harshly and really be offended or really question your motives on why you would say something like that. When you can't see somebody's facial expression, you can't hear from them, you know, the love or the understanding. And they might, again, this goes back to personality type. Some people just send out quick things because they needed, you know, something to be done immediately this way. Um, but my rule of thumb is that if, if it's anything negative in nature, it needs to be done in person. Yeah, that's helpful because I think we've all been, uh, the recipients of some written form of communication that maybe we've misinterpreted or have sent something where someone has taken it in a, a tone or in a spirit that we didn't intend for it to be taken. Yes. And it happens all the time, even between friends. Um, you know, I had a friend that 
texted me something. I texted a response and he, he took it the absolute wrong way and he just kind of flew off the handle. And I said, no, you're, you're reading into this text more than is there, you know, but just wanting to clarify with that with him because I valued the relationship. I wanted him to know, hey, I'm still your friend. I still love you. I just, I was saying, you know, this and you interpret it like this. If, if something is likely to, I mean, if it's just, hey, let's, let's meet at six o'clock tomorrow. Fine. Text. Uh, so neutral, if something is, is positive, go ahead and if it's appropriate, use you know electronic communication, text, email, whatever. But as soon as you think that this might be a difficult conversation, might be confrontational, might be sharing a, a truth that could be hard for them to hear, you need to set up a face-to-face conversation. I really think so. Like I wouldn't send a text or an email to somebody say, hey, where were you? I was really counting on you and hope that you could be here like you said you would be, <laughs> you know, that's not, that's not something I would email or text. I would call the person and I would say, Hey, Jim, John, I, I was really disappointed. You didn't show up when you said you were going to be here. I, I needed you and you committed to this. What, what happened? You know, just try to understand them. I mean, cause, cause you're left in a position. If you just text or email that they may not respond. And then you're just left with, you know, kind of a wedge in the relationship or they might respond hostily because they can't they can't see the love in your your face or your eyes if that makes sense oh it does make sense and so once you get into those conversations i know at the end of your book you have all these effective strategies for helping these conversations go well i don't expect that you'll share them all we want people to pick up a copy of the book but could you speak to some of those strategies to to be more effective and have these conversations be more fruitful when you do have them Oh, sure. Yeah. One is to make it a point to engage the difficult topics. So this is counterintuitive and it sometimes it seems dangerous, but I've always believed you have to go out on a limb because that's where the fruit is, you know, now the limb might break off, <laughs> but the, the important thing is love there, you know, that you're communicating love while you're going after those difficult topics. Another one is an organization suffer with this instead of focusing on all the risks and the why nots, you know, or, or the, you know, the, the challenges to it, focus on the results. We're sometimes overly afraid of having negative outcomes. Um, and then we also have to resist the temptation to tell people simply what they think, what, what we think they want to hear. We need to tell others what they need to hear. And we need to avoid the urge to be a people pleaser. Um, and then one more I'll share is, Attack the problem, not the personality. We have to give others the benefit of the doubt until they show all their cards. And we need to communicate an abundance of trust until we're proven wrong. I think these, even those, you know, three or four are just so important in everyday dynamics and conversations. That's really helpful. And and just for the listener to hear, I think you have, tw- was it 22 of them that you've got listed? I do. In that yes. section? Yeah. So there's 22 of these strategies and they all are very helpful for thinking ahead of time of how you want to do what you can to have these conversations that can be difficult, that can be hard to do, have these conversations go as well as you possibly can. And I would encourage people to uh, not only obviously get and read the whole book, but particularly that section, I think they'll find a lot of help in. Yeah, thanks, Clay. I, You know, and, and some of them aren't easy. You know, there's one towards the end. It's right wrongs, using candor with forgiveness and taking ownership of situations if you're to blame. That's, that's not going to be an easy thing to do. 
and it, it makes us kind of evaluate our life and have we offended other people with our words, we're not always going to get it right. Um, and that's the thing I, I bring out in the book, especially blistering honesty with self is that I've messed up, you know, people mess up. They say things sometimes they don't even mean. Um, and, but you know, with forgiveness and magnanimity, we have an opportunity to go back, readdress, you know, get on the right path with the relationship because a relationship is the most important thing. If you, let's say you're discussing with your spouse and if it's more important to be right then it, you know, then the relationship to you, then it's wrong. I mean, the relationship is penultimate. Um, it's not as important as who is right. But at the same time, you know, I've written a book on candor, so I think it's really important to <laughs> bring out the truth and be honest with others. Well, as we close here, can you share a little bit about where folks can go to learn more about you and your ministry and pick up a copy of the book Candor? Oh, absolutely. Thanks. Yeah, my main website, I just, I, yeah, I have a very simple website. It's causeybooks.com, so C-A-U-S-E-Y-B-O-O-K-S.com. And there I just have three pages. The first page is my latest book, which is all about candor. The second page is all my other books. Um, I've written, uh, you know, six other books. And then the third page is how to get a hold of me. If you want to be in communication with me or do something with the book candor. And that's that's the best way. If you want to pick up the book, go into Amazon.com or ChristianBook.com or MoodyPublishers.com is a great way to get the book. And uh, yeah, just love to interact, engage, and um, as many people as can read this. I know that uh, different groups are using it, small groups, businesses, others, and hopefully it's going to be a big help to not only the Christian community, but to a lot of organizations as well, other organizations. Wonderful. And we'll be sure to link to causybooks.com and to those places where you can pick up a copy for yourself. You'll find all that in the show notes at reasonabletheology.org. Our guest on this episode has been Charles Causey, talking about the book Candor, The Secret to Succeeding at Tough Conversations. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. And Charles, thank you for taking the time to talk with us about the book. Thanks, Clay. Enjoyed being here. So thanks so much for having me on your show. Thanks for listening to the Reasonable Theology Podcast. Be sure to visit reasonabletheology.org for more helpful resources on understanding, articulating, and living out the Christian faith. In addition to the show notes for this episode, you'll find articles, videos, book reviews, and much more. That's reasonabletheology.org. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the Reasonable Theology podcast, go to reasonabletheology.org slash subscribe and get the weekly email. Each week I send out the latest article or podcast episode, and each email also includes a helpful definition to expand your theological vocabulary, a beautiful painting depicting a scene from scripture or church history, a musical selection to enrich your day, as well as the best book deal I've found that week to add trusted resources to your library. Try it out at reasonabletheology.org slash subscribe.